Hey guys, Mark Kenyon here with Wired to Hunt, and we are back with a new episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. And in this one, we're talking about food plots. Specifically, we answer a listener-submitted question about small micro-food plots. What types of things to plant in them, things to think about when you're hunting them, and a lot of stuff along those lines. So, I hope you enjoy this one. I'm going to wrap this up real quick and just send you right to that previously recorded interview. What's up, guys, and welcome back to the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. Back with me on the other side of the world is Matt Drury. How are you, man? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Good. It's good to chat with you again. Glad we're getting the podcast going. That's right. I got a, I got a special guest in studio here with us today. His name is Tim Chelsvik. <laughs> nice job. Yeah, you nailed it, man. Hey, everyone. How are you? Spell it real quick. K-J-E-L-L-E-S-V-I-K. Oh, so, wow. It's Norwegian, so there's a lot of consonants in there. I, I know, and it's difficult. So Tim has been working with us for the past few years. So if you've ever read one of our journal entries uh, on DreeOutdoors.com, uh, there's a good chance that in the last two years, Tim wrote it for us. So um, when one of our team guys uh, gets a deer or a turkey down on the ground, they give Tim a call and they kind of recap hit their hunt. And Tim uh, writes up a, a nice professional journal entry because uh, not <laughs> all of our guys are the best writers, believe it or not. They're killers, but not all of them are writers. Yeah, like Coon Dog, just, just, <laughs> just not in them. I was so. going to say, he doesn't strike me as the literary type. We're <laughs> well, some continuity to the <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, um, we have um, some cool things happening and Tim's been helping mm -hmm. us out more. So yeah. I thought it'd be fun to have Tim sit in on the podcast with us and uh, kind of put a face with the name to our audience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm super glad to be here. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, that's I'd... what's new here. Yeah, we, we, I know you guys have been busy with lots of new projects, and, and I've got a, a handful of new projects kind of in the hopper that have been causing us to have some delays on these more recent episodes. So I'm glad that, Tim, you can join us and help us get this show back on the road for a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to bring some discipline. <laughs> I think <laughs> we need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, you know, it's probably been – I don't remember the last time we even did a podcast. Was it February or March? Yeah, it was It was uh, late February, I think, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah, so I apologize, first of all, to the audience there. I've gotten a few emails and, and questions asking when we were going to fire them back up. So it's, it's just when it gets hectic – and you got a crazy schedule, and I, and I got a crazy schedule. It, it's tough to match up. So we finally kind of just turned the cranks and said, you know what, make we got to do it. So. Got to make it happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's about time. So I, it's it's a good time of year too, though, for us to get talking because I don't know about you guys, but right now, like the weather has finally turned for me here in Michigan. It's nice outside. The turkeys are gobbling. I'm I'm just getting really revved up to get out and do a bunch of deer projects and kill some long beards and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm at a high energy level right now. So I'm excited. Yeah. The sun's shining. I mean, it was yeah. it rain for us. It was rain for you. It was snow. I mean, it seemed like it never stopped for two months, you know, here where the last two months where it should have started the sun, we should start seeing the sun a little more. <laughs> someone, someone had a Facebook meme and it said, you all think it's spring, but actually it's the 96th of the, of January. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, have you gone out turkey hunting much? So I have. I haven't actually gone out with a gun yet, but I have gone doing some scouting. I've been doing some recording, like some audio recording for a project I'm working on, which is fun. Um, and I did go out this past couple days with my nephew, trying to get him a bird. 
and that didn't didn't work out well. That the birds that are usually in the area weren't roosted on the property that we could hunt. So there's just like there was one gobbler in the area, and he went the other direction, and then stopped talking, and it was just quiet. And we only had one morning to hunt and one afternoon, so the morning was a bummer. And then the one afternoon we had to hunt. Um, we just started walking out, and we we bump a hen. So right away we spooked a spooked turkey, and then we walked all over the place. We went and set up a blind for that next morning. Um, did a bunch of looking around, calling, walking, and talking, and. Uh, Finally, we, we get to the one far corner of the farm, and I'm thinking, all right, going to do one series of yelps here, and if we don't hear anything, I'm going to turn, and we're going to head sort of back towards back towards the road. And so I yelp, 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 listen for a while, listen for a while, listen for a while, nothing. So I'm like, all right, well, let's head back the other direction. So we turn and start walking, and right as I turn and start walking, I hear off in the distance. I'm like, oh, all right, there we go. There's a, there's a gobbler, and I'm so excited because I want to show my nephew a good time. So I'm like, all right, I, I, he sounded, he's probably over, you know, over this hill and on the other side of the field. It was really windy, though, so it's hard. You know how it is when it's windy, hard to tell how far away these birds are. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, he's on the other side of this hill, so let's just slowly creep down the field edge another, like, 30, 40, 50 yards till we can sort of start seeing down that direction and then figure out, like, okay, where, where we need to set up. And so for a millisecond in my head, I had this cautionary word the angel on my shoulder, he says, Mark, just stop right here. Don't take another step. Just hide in the bushes. But the devil on the other side said, keep going. <laughs> Go for it. And so we took like five steps down the field edge. And then all of a sudden I see a head that had mm-hmm. just popped over the hill, spinning and running away. And there goes the gobbler taking off. And he was much closer than I thought he was. And I should have I should have been a little more careful, and unfortunately, that was like our only our only half decent chance at a bird for him. Maybe that would have worked out if I hadn't spooked him. So that was it. That was disappointing. And uh, do you guys have many turkeys up there? I mean, in the area where you're hunting, you know, not a ton. Um, on this property that I was hunting, um, this is the property that we've talked a lot in the past that I deer hunt too. There's always there's always turkeys. But it, there's not a lot, and most of them don't actually roost on the property. So sometimes there might be like one or two roosted on the property or close. Otherwise, then you'll hear a bunch like, I don't know, a quarter mile away or 200, 300, 400 uh, yards away. And then you just kind of hope that eventually a couple of them will cycle through later. Um, and and this, this year so far, it's been a little bit light. I've seen out in the fields maybe a couple times I've seen like two or three gobblers, but it's nothing like some places that I see on TV and stuff or some of the places you hunt where there's, um, you know, five, six, seven, eight gobblers out in the field with a whole bunch of hens. We don't see big numbers like that, but it's, yeah. it's enough to keep you busy usually. Yeah. Yeah. And for the record, that's just where Mark hunts. <laughs> Mark Drury. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. I should have specified. <laughs> At least, uh, literally, and I've been on it, whatever, three, four years. This last year was the first year I ever even really got pictures of turkeys on it. Mm-hmm. And I had two long beards. And uh, Trevor went up one morning and, and was listening to see, just kind of doing a little scouting, see if it was worth giving it a shot, you know. And uh, it, it it sounded like every everything was off on the neighbor's property. Because yeah, the, the pictures I was getting, and that's during the fall too, so it's not like recent information. Because I had to um, – 
I'm jumping all over, but I got a camera stolen on my lease again. So uh-huh. I, you know, so you take, got to take the cameras off. So I really don't know what, what the turkeys are doing right now, but during the fall, it was in the afternoons a lot of times. So in Missouri, our season, you know, closes at one every day. So mm-hmm. I haven't even given it, given it a whirl there on the lease. Um, but when I do go, I usually go up to dad's place and you know, they, the way Mark and dad usually try to handle it, they get permission on a lot of farms kind of in an area. So Mark's got several properties, whether they're either leasing it for the turkey rights or just have permission to hunt it. He'll have several different properties. I mean, they'll run a couple thousand acres uh, just for turkeys there. And and dad has his farm, which is about 1,200 acres. And then um, we have another piece at uh, property at 248 uh, that we just recently, um, listed and we, we turkey hunt on it. So, uh, their, their philosophy is if they're not working in one area, try to jump to another. So it's not, I don't, I wouldn't say it's prototypical of your average hunter, obviously. Um, but I think Turkey, I think you can lease Turkey rights for like three to three or four bucks an acre. Like it's super cheap to get just Turkey rights. So, uh, in the scheme of things now, you know, whether or not you want to pay 700 bucks to kill a turkey. Right, yeah, it just depends <laughs> on your priorities. Yeah, you'd have to be pretty ate up with turkey hunting. But <laughs> it, it is doable for those that, that want, you know, wonder, like, how do I, how can I get some mm-hmm. good turkey dirt? Like, I know a buddy of mine, Aaron Bennett, who films with us a lot, him and, I don't know, three or four buddies go in on a, a big piece. I don't even know how many acres it is, uh, four or 500 acres up in North Missouri, just for the turkey rights. Every year they get mm-hmm. the same place. And it's, you know, they basically go up for like four or five days over a weekend and it's their annual, you know, yeah, it's big camp. Yeah, yeah. it's camp. It's mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of do that stuff, too. I know yeah. you go to the outfitters here and there, but mm-hmm. you go to turkey camp with Ray I all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, it's a ton of fun. You eat way too much food and you get to swap stories and yeah. learn some stuff. But uh, but yeah, not everyone not everyone can do that. Yeah. So it's. um you know, there's, there's ways to try to pull your resources together. You know, Mm -hmm. the best way for your average guy is to just get permission. And a lot of times it's not like deer hunting. I I feel like it's a little easier to knock on a door and get the rights to hunt somebody's ground for turkey season. So it's the gateway conversation to getting whitetail ground. Yeah. Because if you can get onto a property and turkey hunt, there's, there's usually less pressure to get access to turkey ground and you get it and you prove that you're an ethical, responsible hunter. And it's more likely that the property owner is going to give you rights to, to whitetail hunt that. Yeah. Yeah. So moral of the story, I have not killed a turkey yet this year. <laughs> <laughs> long way of saying. <gasps> so both, both Mark, how long is your season up there? So we've got, they're broken up into a couple different ones and you have to choose one. So the season that I got my tag for ends this coming Sunday. So basically, I'm pinning all my hopes on this uh, this group hunt we're doing this weekend. I'm gonna start hunting Thursday or Friday, I think, and, and try to get it done before Sunday. Um, and then there's another longer season, but it's like the late season that runs May 7th through the 31st, I think. And then during that period, I'll be taking out some different friends and have got some more friends coming to visit, and I'll be out calling for them and putting them on some birds, hopefully. So I'll still get to be out there enjoying it, which is kind of what I enjoy almost more than anything. So. There should be a good number of turkey hunts, at least tagging along and, and being there for some goblins. So I'm looking forward to that. Do you guys have many uh, like morels up there? Do you do they start popping up for you guys? He's probably not going to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no morels. The, there there are morels. I've never actually 
seriously searched for him, but literally just yesterday, my wife and I were, were t- on this hike and we were just talking, you know, what? this year we, we got to take it seriously and really try to find some because that would be a real nice addition to our, uh, to our grocery list. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to try to take it a little more seriously this year and hopefully find some. I know, I know a lot of friends who do pretty well, so they're here. Good. Yeah. They're tough to beat. There's about as good as it gets. So fried, fry that up with fried turkey breast. That's mm. fresh killed that That's, day. Yeah, this like a classic springtime. Yeah, dish. maybe some fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some yeah. crappie, crappie, turkey, yeah. and morels. That that is springtime. <laughs> yeah, That's so, a good meal. Speaking you know. of speaking of food, do we want to talk about the topic of which our question is today? Our, our question of the day, Matt. Should we jump to that? Because that's we that's should, about food. Should, it's about spring. You know, you are the king of transition. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> when I, yeah. I see my opening, I jump on it. <laughs> yeah, because honestly, like I just won't shut up, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you and me both. That's I guess that's why we're doing a podcast. Yeah. Hi, my name's James Dumont from Hillsdale, Michigan. Uh, my question is for microplots and uh, deep wood timbers. How would you approach hunting those microplots, and what type of seed blend would you recommend in planting in microplots in deep timber? Um. Roughly in about a third of an acre size, and we have a lot of ag fields around us that are usually soybeans and corn. So I just wanted to know how your guys' approach and what you guys would plant in microplots. All right, micro plots, and I don't know about you, Matt, but I'm food plot stuff's definitely on my mind right now as I'm starting to think through my plan for the year, beginning some maintenance. Now that stuff's starting to green up, I'm gonna be doing some weed control here soon. So food plots are definitely on my mind. Um, do you want to take a stab at this first, Matt, and then and then we can all three go from there? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The you know, and obviously he's up in kind of your neck of the woods there, and so I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your input because it's probably a little more applicable. Uh, but for me, you know, when you talk about microplots, you know, on the lease there, I feel like almost I I got four food plots, and I feel like two of the four I would consider microplots. They're they're very small. They're kind of bow hunting hidey holes to to a certain extent, and. Um, now one of them is on the field edge, but the other one is down into my timber. And, um, you know, so a few things I think you got to look out for there is you got to get, make sure you have enough sun, sunlight to, you know, for, for the food to grow. But I feel like you kind of can't go wrong with clover in a situation like that. And, uh, once you plant it, once you get it going, like it's, I mean, it's pretty, it's not hard to maintain it. You do have to watch out for weeds like this time of year. You know, to your point, Mark, like I got to get up to the lease and, and, and spray for weeds. It's The food plots look great. The clover looks great right now. But it's that time of year where weeds are fixing to take over. Uh, they need to be mowed. You need to put some sort of um, – no um, weed killer on it. Uh, but I personally would go with like a non-typical clover. Uh, we use Biologic. There's a lot of good products out there, a lot of good companies. Um, another one that they make, like depending on how he wanted to do it, he, he talked about in, in the kind of the deep timber. Um, I know Biologic makes a product called Hotspot too. And all you got to do is go in and it's it's a little, this would be like a super, super micro plot because you wouldn't actually need to do much work. All you need to do is go in with like a rake mm-hmm. and rake all the leaves 
away. Sure. And I don't think that's this time of year. I think it's in the fall or early, you know, late summer when you plant this product. But it's called Hot Spots. And it's got this bag, and you go out and you just kind of shake it mm-hmm. on the ground, and it it will put, give you a green food source kind of right around your tree. So it's a way to, if you don't have the equipment, you don't have a way to um, get deer into one area. Like it's a way to try to concentrate them kind of towards your tree when you're bow hunting. So anyways, that's kind of the two thoughts that I had for it. Yeah. Would you add anything, Tim, or, or do you want me to jump into my rambling session? I'm about to go. Yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's both ramble. So, uh, so one, you know, it, it was interesting. He mentioned that, that he does have a lot of agricultural, uh, resources around him. So I, you know, I, I just think you have to differentiate the, the nutrients that are available. So, uh, so, you know, you know, what's available with corn and soybeans and then make sure that the deer are getting something different. Give them a reason to come there as opposed to sticking with the large agricultural fields that they have full access to. I think that's a really good point. It was, it was something I was thinking about too. I agree. A um, few other thoughts that I would add. Um, to your point, Matt, clover can definitely be a great option in a lot of times because of the fact once you get established, usually it's relatively low maintenance. It can do pretty good in some shady conditions, it seems like. it's It hits a lot of bases for a time of year that it covers. Um, the one thing I would say to someone is that if you're trying to get something going, like right now this year, if it's just a hunting plot and you're just getting started, the one issue sometimes with clover is that it takes a little while to establish. Mm-hmm. Lots of times, at least in my case, when I've used clover in the past, it's not really till the second year that you really get a really nice full super stand of clover it seems to just take a while for it to really fill out really nicely so what i like to do in my food plots that are kind of small hunting based is i really focus on annuals so those annuals which just means that these are going to be a one-time plant it and then it's going to grow that year and then it's dead the next spring Um, but because of that because the fact it's a one-year thing it's this plant's able to push a ton of energy and nutrients into that one-time go. So you get really fast growth, you get aggressive growth, and you get a lot of nutrition and forage quick, and it establishes strong. Um, So in a lot of the the situations like this, I like something like oats. Um, If you have the right pH where you can get something like, uh, uh, and again, it depends on your acidity, it depends on on daylight and everything like that, but if you can get something in there like a brassica of some sort, um, I know, like you mentioned, Matt, there's a lot of these like no-till bags of seed, like you mentioned the hot spots. Um, I've used one called No Plow. Um, they're usually mixes of some clover that'll go in there and kind of establish, but really they're usually filled, from what I've seen in the ones I've used, they're usually filled with some kind of um, cereal grain, so either oats or wheat or maybe a cereal rye, and then a scattering, a smattering of different brassicas. Usually that's what you're seeing when you're tossing those out there. And a lot of those are smaller seeds. So when you're thinking through what you're going to try to plant, if you don't have big equipment to get in there, which I'm assuming if it's a small plot deep in the timber, you're maybe not going to be able to get a tractor or something in there. Um, I like what you had to say, Matt, about you know just going in there with a rake, using something like a no-till seed mixture. Um, again, clover's got those really small seeds. Um, brassicas are small seeds, and those allow you to easily get that on top of the soil often and even just with a rake and then maybe just tamping it down with your four-wheeler tires or something you can get that seed to soil contact that's necessary to get um to get those those seeds germinated another thing i like to do in that kind of situation is i like to wait till a rain and i actually am planting like either during the rain or like 
like right right around it when that soil is wet and you can kind of push it in there so even without tilling up the soil at all you're going to have a little bit better chance of getting that seed to soil that you want especially with a rake or something like that just break it up just a little bit and you're gonna be able to get that seed in the ground um with something like oats though those are pretty big seeds and they require you get down an inch inch and a half under the dirt and you're going to need some kind of equipment to really get those incorporated. So just think about what your options are there when you're thinking through this decision. Um, to Tim's point, definitely think about what else is around you. Um, so everything we've talked about so far is different than beans and corn. So I think you're naturally going to have the ability to differentiate. Something like beans is really hard to plant in a small plot like this because the the grazing pressure is so hard, they, or browser pressure. They'll just I'll hammer ne- those beans, yeah. <laughs> It'll never make yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so... Those would be my thoughts as far as stuff to plant. Um, and, you know, the one other thing I'd add to is think about what time of year you're planning on hunting it because that will determine, help you determine what to focus on too. Like if you're just a gun hunter and you're only going to be hunting, let's say in Michigan, well, he's in Michigan. So our gun season opens November 15th and it runs through the 30th. And then there's a muzzleloader season in December. Um, so if he's only going to hunt with a firearm, don't plant oats or something that's super attractive just in like September and October and early November, but not as attractive in late November and December. Um, that's, it's not going to achieve the goal you're looking to, to achieve. So you might want to focus on something like brassicas, um, or whatever else there might be out there that's going to get you that late season attraction. So think about that too. But if you're going to hunt early season, if you're going to be in there with a bow on October 1st, something like oats could be awesome. Um, So take that into account. So many times people want like a one size fits all prescription for food plots. And it's just, it's just never that simple. You really need to think about what your situation is, what your soil is, uh, what your goals are, and really kind of put together a custom custom plan for that specific situation um yeah i was just gonna say mark that you you mentioned timing of hunting but also timing of planting uh you think about if, if you're going out this time of year the amount of sunlight coming through the canopy is different than what it's going to be in the summertime because the trees can be completely leafed out if they if they aren't already so you got to think about what the trees are doing and i i, I put in a like a ultra micro plot one year i literally walked in with the rake and with a jug of seed and spread it out and had good growth through July and August and then September and then October, the leaves started falling and the leaves literally, literally the, the falling leaves choked out my food plot. It was that small. And I hadn't even considered coming in and try to rake some of those up to keep them, to keep that going. Uh, so timing is really critical, not only when you hunt, but when you plant and how you take care of that plot. Well, realistically, and you, it's not like I'm going to go into your, your food plot into the timber, you know, and start raking right there, you know, the week you're hunting, it's, you know, or yeah, a couple yeah. weeks before you're hunting. And so you got to be careful in that regard too, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, that, I think that hot spot that I was talking about, it is, you know, you would plant it late in the Midwest in late, late August, early September. And then it's for like, you know, you would be hunting over it during bo- early bow season, which mm-hmm. is in Missouri, it's September 15th. So it's, you know, it'd be like for the first couple of weeks of the season, that's what it would be, you know, best far. And then probably realistically after that, once the leaves start falling, you know, it yeah, probably lasts you through October, but mm-hmm. after that, it'd be tough, tough going. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I, I would add a few more things if we were to shift now to the second part of his question, which was how to hunt a micro plot. A few, you know, without knowing much about his situation and his property, I would say one thing to make sure you're thinking about when you're planning a micro plot like this that you plan on hunting is 
can you access and hunt this plot without spooking deer? And really thinking long and hard about how you can do that. Because if we're talking about a small plot back in the timber, when I think of something going back in the timber, I automatically start worrying about someone walking through this thick timber and spooking a bunch of deer from these bedding areas. So if you do have to go buy a bunch of bedding, well, number one, I'd say, if you want to be able to hunt this in the afternoons and you want to be able to hunt it early in the season, then strongly consider placing your food plot on the edges or close to the edges so that you can access it without having to go through a bunch of bedding. Just just think about that when you're determining when you're going to position that food plot. Now, if it's already positioned, like if you already have this spot cleared out and that's the only spot you can put it and it's way back in there, then I would tell you, I would recommend thinking about being super, super selective about when you hunt it then. So if I've got a food plot that's back in the timber and you have to go past bedding areas to get to it, in my head, I would be thinking, okay, this is something that I'm only going to hunt during the rut and I'm only going to hunt it you know, by going in there before daylight. So I'm going, passing through the bedding areas in dark so the deer are out in the food sources, hopefully somewhere else. And then I'm already situated and nicely set up and waiting for them when they're coming back in through the timber. And then hopefully in that scenario, they're either passing, you know, by your little micro food plot on their way to the bed, or maybe a little bit later in the morning when those bucks are up and cruising, they're going to pass through those looking for does. They go from bed to bed, bedroom to bedroom. Um, And I'd be hunting there all day. I wouldn't be going in there and then walking past the bedrooms on the way back out. So just think real hard about that because there's nothing worse than planning a food plot to attract deer and then spooking deer every time you go in and out of there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you're, 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 you're attracting them and repelling them, which is going to hurt you significantly in the long term. So think about that a lot. And then again, with a small food plot like this back in the timber, just in general, I think you have to be careful about how often you hunt it as well, just because it, I, I guess most situations like that, that's going to be like a high impact spot. So every time you go and deepen the timber like that, you probably are leaving scent. You probably are going to be educating some deer. Um, mm-hmm. So be kind of selective about how often you hunt it. If you can think through, okay, when's the very best time of year, the very best days that this is going to be able to pay off, whatever scenario it is that you think deer are going to be using this area, um, if you can try to wait to those best spots and this, this applies to so many things that we talk about, but especially when you've got a little plot back in cover, it can be an awesome spot to, to kill a deer, but it can also be a really quick way to educate all your deer. Um, so those are a few things I would recommend at a high level without knowing a whole bunch when you're thinking about this kind of deal. Yeah, I think it's a good point, Mark, cause actually on the lease, that one food plot that I was talking about, it is in the timber and Trevor and I, Every, it felt like every time we hunted it this year, we and we got a um, box blind down there, and it felt like every time we hunted it, when deer would come out to hit the food plot, and I mean on my trail camera, I had plenty of pictures of deer, like you know eight to ten does hitting this food plot a night, and maybe a buck, maybe not. And when we'd get get there and hunt it, and we were getting in plenty early, the way the terrain is in this particular food plot, like you're going down into kind of the bottom and it opens up for the food plot but there's bedding getting into it there's bedding and and then there's a hillside there's two hillsides actually so they're kind of looking down on you and I, it was weird because well one weird in hindsight it was just us being bad hunters but <laughs> uh, we every you know we get in there and we're not making a peep we're not making a noise the first couple does come out and they're instantly eyeing up that blind and uh i mean we got to a point where we only had like a little you know, four by four square that we were looking out of, you know, all the windows are closed. It's not a scent problem. It's, 
it's like, God, we're not moving. What the heck is the problem? Well, they probably saw us come in, <laughs> you know, when it boiled down to and the further in the year that I got when all the leaves, you know, we have pretty good cover in the early part of the year. And uh, I, I really don't believe that it was an, as big of an issue then. But man, when I got later in the year, I mean, honestly, Mark, Mark, one day we had a photo shoot um, here and I think it was March. We had a photo shoot on the lease um, for Nomad. And, and I asked Mark, I was like, you know, we're getting drilled every time we're down here. What do you think the issue is? He goes, I, he goes, in my opinion, you probably shouldn't even worry about hunting here unless you can come down in the morning yeah. and sit here all day. He's like, it just, he goes, your bet, your better bet is to hunt up top, you know, in the staging plot, hunt, hunt and pull them out of the timber uh, instead of trying to get into the timber to hunt. He's like, it just, you know, he's like, Terry and I have done it so many times. It's just, you get busted more times than not just being getting in there. So, um, anyways, that's, that's my two cents. I just had to figure it out the hard way this year. Yeah. And, and the places I hunt, I, I hunt a lot of the Ozark ridges. So it's pretty rugged, deep, deep woods. And, um, and I, it's a lot, it's a lot more work, but I really like using a climber. Uh, and, and, and I, I like a climber because the places where I hunt, the wind is always different. I can never count on a, um, a, a, a continue, a, a wind that's always out of the West in one particular stand. So using a climber, a lot, it, it's a little more noise getting in, but it allows me to set up wherever the wind is going to be best for that particular day. It's almost like gorilla style bow hunting because, I don't know where I'm going to go exactly when, when I get out there. The deer sure aren't going to know once I'm up. And, and I've seen deer walk by stands and literally turn their heads and look up as though they're expecting someone to be there. Uh, so so the, the climber for me, more work, but uh, but it allows me to kind of pull a sneak attack on deer, especially in small food plots back in the timber. He's an animal, this guy, hunting the Ozark Mountains, and he's packing a climber. <laughs> well, and the, the worst is when you actually kill something because yeah. <laughs> then you got to get it out. It all has to come out. Golly. It's <laughs> a, a good problem. It is a good problem yeah. to have. Uh-huh. Well, cool. Do we, do we have anything else we want to cover on this one, or should we wrap this up? I'd say let's wrap it up, man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I will just uh, mention if you want to have a future question answered, you can go to wiredhunt.com slash 100% wild. You can submit a question for a future episode, and uh, you can subscribe as well. And I know, Matt, you've got some thoughts on the video side. Yeah, so if you want to watch what you're hearing here, if you're an avid listener of the podcast, you can watch it over on Jury Outdoors' YouTube channel uh, under 100% wild. And as always, we have a lot going on on our YouTube channel. Um, and as we get going into the summer months, uh, we're trying to do more informational type how-to uh, videos. So whether it's food plotting, whether it's Mark or Terry going in and kind of um, doing something new to a new piece of dirt, uh, we got a lot of cool stuff over on the YouTube side. So check us out there. And as always, you can see us over on social media, Instagram, Twitter, you, uh, Facebook, at Drury Outdoors. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Peace. Thanks.